us this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, we will be in Acts 15. Acts 15, starting in verse 36. If you do not have a Bible of your own, there should be a Bible located somewhere around you, up underneath the the seats there, and uh, it's on page 638, 638 of the provided Bibles. The title of today's sermon is The Mission Continued, or The Mission Continues. Uh, It is both continued and continues. And so as we continue our series in the book of Acts, Um, We have been here for several uh, months working our way through this uh, amazing book of the Bible uh, that kind of lays out the beginning of the early church. Uh, Many of the principles that we use today in our churches are the same principles that are laid out for us here in the book of Acts and in Scripture of how we shape ourselves so the early church is, is putting together, uh, as we see in the book of Acts, the kind of the building blocks uh, for how the church should function from, from the ground up. And so how it should function from the ground up, and we'll, we'll see kind of how Paul does that uh, here in the, as we get ready to, to read the text. And so I grew up, uh, when I grew up, uh, I, I, went, I went to school and in college, uh, like many of us do, and uh, while I was in college, I actually got a job in construction. And uh, one of the things that I, well, I, the guy that I worked for, he had his license, his construction license, pretty much for every uh, every part of a construction job. From uh, he had a he had a, a license for a general contractor. He had a license for being able to do his own electrical, his own heating and air condition, um, his his own plumbing. So when we went into a job, pretty much we went in with that job, doing it from the ground up. And one of the things that I saw over time was that no matter what job construction we started, uh, that we would go to the job, shop, job site and there would, there would be materials already laid out. And here's one of the things that never happened. Those materials never built themselves into a building. Right? The materials were there. They were the foundation for what we would end up doing. But the building... I wish it would have. It would have saved me a lot of time, effort, and energy, although I would have, probably wouldn't have gotten a paycheck. But the building never built itself. Like at, Those materials were only building blocks for what would happen. So as we go into a job, we would prep the site, we would put a foundation, and we would build walls up that would support it, and then a roof on top of that. And this, Eventually, this structure would become uh, a thing. And so no matter if, if the varying structures, uh, no matter how much they varied in engineering, it was still the same that, that there would still be a foundation that needed to be laid and there would still be walls that needed to be put up and there would still be a, a roof that needed to go over the top to protect it. And so we, it needed this strong foundation no matter what, what we were building. And the same is true in, in kind of how we think of church and how we start new churches. Uh, there's a foundation and a cornerstone that is built on Christ Jesus, right? We see that in Scripture, that the foundation of the church, the the cornerstone of the church is Christ Jesus. The supporting structures of discipleship, evangelism, of preaching and teaching are things that hold the church together. And then the Holy Spirit, uh, above all, holds it all together by by gathering the living stones, that would be us, that that make up the church and and gives them gifts to to build up the congregation, to build up one another. And that's kind of how this church functions. 
And so we'll see uh, this happen over and over throughout the book of Acts. We see in Acts chapter 9, right after Paul's conversion, that Jesus tells Ananias that Paul was a chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Paul was God's chosen instrument. Paul knew his mission. He knew that he was to go and proclaim the good news of salvation that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Nothing, not anything could deter him from that calling, from going from city to city and establishing churches in this way, built on the foundation of none other than Jesus Christ and and putting in the context of evangelism and discipleship and these, these pillars that we should be holding up in the church as we're called to go and preach and teach the good news and baptize people as they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul was determined to do this and nothing was going to deter him from doing this. So as we walk through the last several weeks of Paul's ministry, we have seen this determination to, to lead people to Christ, to start new churches in places where the gospel had never been heard before, to start new churches in a city on a hill for that area to see, to, to, to see the light in darkness that is only found in him. And so, knowing this context of what God is doing in the book of Acts helps us to know where we are as we get ready to read and what is continually happening in Paul's ministry, this continual rhythm that he is establishing. So let's let's read together Acts 15. Acts 15, 36. Through 1615. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them, to, with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so, they, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, Cilicia strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, or Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul at the night. 
A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over uh, to, the Macedon- to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. After she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Paul had returned to Antioch from his first missionary journey where he had evangelized the lost and started new congregations. And so as he comes back in, we see in our passage this morning that they begin to go out and start this second missionary journey. I had a map that I was going to put on the screen to kind of help you identify kind of his second missionary journey, but it didn't show up really well, so I just took it down because it's kind of hard to see. But you can kind of see it if you Google it, or actually in the back of your Bibles sometimes there's maps, but you can see Paul's second missionary journey and kind of where the Lord is taking him and how... He has taken him. And so as we walk through these passages, one of the things I I want to help us see is what the mission was for them in that day. And we kind of do this all the time in in the Scriptures. What the mission was in that day and what the mission is for us today. So in the context of Paul, as he's walking through and as he's getting ready to plant a church in, in, uh, in Philippi, and as he's leaving Antioch, and as he's going to, to go and plant churches, I want us to see what the mission was for him. What, what was his mission that continued on? And then how does that apply to us today? So I want you to think about it in a way that's, that it, that's kind of uh, bridging the gap for us. What is that bridge that helps us to identify what was said to, uh, to as Luke wrote this in that day to the, to the early Christians and how we cross that bridge to how it applies to us? So I'm going to draw that line for us a little bit. We do that anyway, uh, but I want to see kind of how the mission continued and how the mission continues for us as we, as we seek to, to glorify God. And the mission is the same, but how it fleshes out, I think, in our context may be a little different. So I have four points for you this morning. If you take notes, I will give them to you now. And they all start with the mission continued. And if you want to put that parentheses S in there, continues, you can do that. The first point is this. The mission continued despite dissension. The mission continued despite dissension. Second point is this. The mission continued by not closing open doors. The mission continued by not closing open doors. Point three is this. The mission continued by not opening closed doors. The mission continued by not opening closed doors. The fourth point is this. 
the mission continued through gospel proclamation. The mission continued through gospel proclamation. So the mission continued despite dissension. See here in, as we pick up in Acts 15.36, Paul and Barnabas had spent some days at the church in Antioch preaching and teaching them. But after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, let us return. Let's go back and visit those churches that we planted. Let's go back and, and check on them. Let's, let's see how they are doing. And Barnabas, he wanted to take John Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them. You see, in Acts 13, we, we read where John Mark had joined Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, but had left them and went back home to Jerusalem. We don't know why he went back home to Jerusalem. We don't know the exact reason, but we do know that John Mark went back home. But what we can infer from our passage today is that it did not sit well with Paul. It didn't sit well that John Mark had left them in the middle of their first missionary journey and had gone back to Jerusalem. So Paul and Barnabas disagreed. It says that they had a sharp disagreement over this. So much so that they separated over it. Now I want you to catch something here. I think there's something that's really important for us to understand. And that, that it, there's a real difference between Paul and Barnabas. If you, if you read the book of Acts, you can really see a big difference in Paul, Bar Paul and Barnabas. You see, Paul was a visionary. Who, he had one mission in mind. He was laser-focused on going in and evangelizing the lost. He would, he would go into a city and he would evangelize the lost and he would congregate those people together and he would start new churches. No matter what the opposition was, including getting stoned and thrown back out of the stone and thrown out of the city, he'd get up and walk right back in. Like he was laser focused on his mission. It didn't mean if it came to death or whatever it was. This was what he was, what God had called him to do. And from the time of his conversion, that's what he did. He knew what his mission was. Barnabas, he was a little different. Barnabas was pastoral. He was, a, he was a shepherd. He was called the son of encouragement because he was, he was a natural encourager. He was a natural gatherer. You see, he had a heart for loving others and he was quick to forgive. If you remember back in Acts 9, Barnabas was the one who curbed the fears of the apostles and, and ushered Paul into the room with them. He said, guys, I want to tell you his testimony that while he was on the road to Damascus, God did an amazing things and revealed himself to Paul. See, Paul had been ravaging the church and other disciples and other apostles uh, and the apostles did not trust him. But Barnabas comes in and explains Paul's conversion story and tells them, hey, listen, this is what Jesus did to him. It's also important and interesting to note that uh, we learn from other scriptures that Barnabas and John Mark are actually cousins, right? So there's some family ties here that, also, that help us. 
But either way, they were unable to come to an agreement. Different personalities in the same room, one being pastoral, let's forgive John Mark. Let us forgive, let's forgive him for what he did. I know he left us in the middle of our journey. I know he did that, but yet, let's forgive him and bring him along. And Paul's like, no. He could actually hinder us from, from going and doing the work and having the vision to go. And I, I can just picture Paul being really adamant that, hey, I don't want to take him. I don't want, it, I don't want him to go. I don't want him to leave us again because there's much work for us to do. And yet, Barnabas is like, no. This is worth separating over. And so what, what, what we can learn from this is that despite Paul and Barnabas disagreeing and choosing to go their own way, God is still sovereign over this situation. God is still in control of what is happening here. Instead of having one team that is going out now to, to perform the second missionary journey, we now have two teams that have, are going out and, and, and completing the task at hand. And so the mission continued despite their lack of ability to agree. To agree. Now, I want you to understand that Barnabas and Paul, they do work together again. If, if you know the Scriptures, you know that they, they work again in building up the church. Not only does Paul and Barnabas work together again, but listen to what Paul says about, about, um, about John Mark. In 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul tells Timothy, he says, hey, bring John Mark with you because he is very useful to me for ministry. So somewhere along the way, Paul and John Mark reconcile and they're able to work together. They're able to, to join together for the sake of the ministry. So there was a reconciliation. There was agreement in the gospel for the furtherance of the mission at hand. Now, there are many theologians that disagree on whether there was some reconciliation that happened before they left to go on this missionary journey. And I believe they were because if you look down here in verse 40, Paul chose Silas. He departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. The church commends Paul and Silas to go. Therefore, I think there's some reconciliation that happened probably even before they went. So the mission continued. Paul's journey, his mission still continued despite reconciliation. So how does the mission continue for us? How does the mission continue for us? Like, How do we work past disagreements? How do we work past places where we can't agree on things? Because if you know anything about church life, sometimes it's hard to agree. You put a bunch of people in a room and even a few leaders in a room, sometimes it's hard to agree on all things at all times, right? It doesn't mean that any certain party is wrong, but it may mean that you'll have to agree to disagree. I can tell you that uh, the elders, uh, we usually agree on most things. Usually. But I do know there's been one or two times that we just have sat in a room and we've discussed things for maybe even a few hours and not come to a resolution or agreement on how we should proceed. The Bible's not really clear on it. And maybe it's a discussion on a topic that we are discussing. We just can't agree. And so what we do in that moment is we pray and uh, we don't divide and leave. But yet we, we, we still love one another. And we seek unity with one another. And you should do that as well in your disagreements. 
You should, you should seek to be unified. The Bible speaks a lot about doing good with one another, for doing well with one another, for serving one another well. But sometimes there's things that, that can divide a church that shouldn't divide a church. And even in our, in, our, in, our, uh, in our membership classes, we talk about these things called open-handed issues. And they're just that. They're open-handed issues. Uh, things such as public school versus private school or home school. Like which, one, which, one, which one's right? Uh, yes, they're, they're all right according to what it is that you decide. Or how much money should I give to the church? Should I give a full 10% or should I, should I give? We say you should give cheerfully to the Lord because that's what the Bible says you should do. These are open-hand issues, but then there are these closed-hand issues that we will divide over. And that if I stand up here, as, as Paul said, and even as an angel of the Lord would come and preach a gospel to you that is contrary to the one that preaches the gospel of truth that we find in Scripture, then I shall be accursed and you should kick me out of here, right? Those are things that we can divide over. These open-handed issues are not things we divide over. These closed-handed issues, issue, issues of essential doctrine and truth and faith are things that we can. But I think Paul, I think he figured it out that he was probably wrong in this regard. That they were wrong in this regard as Luke recorded. Because in Romans, Romans 15, Paul writes this, May the God of endurance and encouragement Grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you would do that with one voice. That you would be unified in glorifying God for what Christ has done for us. And so the mission continues for us and that we should pursue unity. That we should not divide over things that are non-essential. That we would rest in the fact that God has accomplished much for us already and that we would seek to be unified around Christ Jesus even in areas that we don't disagree, that we would agree on those things. So the mission continued despite dissension. The second point is this. The mission continued by not closing open doors. By not closing open doors. Paul came, he, he comes 16, verse 1, begins his second missionary journey. He came to Derby and he comes to Lystra. By the way, Lystra was a city in which he was stoned and thrown out of and then walks back in. He goes back to that city. And it's pretty evident that there was someone who was compelled by the gospel there, and his name was Timothy. So as he goes back to Lystra, there was a disciple there, one that was converted from his first missionary journey named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. And Timothy wants him, or Paul wants Timothy to accompany him and to go with him to be able on this journey. But something really unusual happens here. If you look in 16, something really unusual happens it says in verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. Now that's interesting. Because the very preceding chapter in chapter 15, if you remember, there was a council that actually came together 
to resolve this issue that said, hey, those who are Gentiles, those who are not of Jewish descent or even new converts, they don't have to be circumcised. So there was a letter sent to the Gentiles and the Gentiles said, hey, we don't want to put another yoke and another heavy burden on you. We want you to, we want you to understand that, that um, you don't have to be circumcised as, as the Jews are, that you can come to faith and circumcision is, is, is a faith not, by, uh, faith not by works but by grace. And they resolved the issue. But something happens here in Timothy or in, uh, to Timothy that in just reading it on the surface level, it can cause confusion. Because it goes against what we just saw. But why? The question is why would Paul circumcise Timothy in this way? It just doesn't make sense. But if we think about it in the context of 1 Corinthians 9 12, which says this. If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, something was happening there that Paul knew it would be a stumbling block to the Jews. That Timothy, although he had a Greek father, they they knew that he would that they knew that the Jews would know that he was not circumcised. But yet he had a Jewish mother and a Jewish aunt, and so they knew that coming from that descent, he needed to be circumcised. Or they expected him to be circumcised. So in order for for Paul to take Timothy along. He knew that in order for it not to be a stumbling block, in order for it not to be a hindrance to those that they were going to be proclaiming the good news to, he would need to go and to uh, circumcise Timothy and bring him along in that way. You see, it wasn't a requirement that it be done, but it was a hindrance. It wasn't a requirement, but it was a hindrance. 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23 says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew. Now this is Paul speaking to the church of Corinth. Just so you get context here of who's writing this. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, those are the Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, that I might win those who are outside the law, those Gentiles. He says, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. This is Paul leading Timothy to be all things to all people. Even though it wasn't a requirement, he knew that Timothy's voice would not be heard 
if he were not circumcised. So in order to avoid that hindering, in order to avoid what, was, uh, what would be a, a stumbling block for the Jews, he just altogether, he said, alright, let's, let's, let's circumcise you so that you would not be a stumbling block. And look what happens. The end of that section in 16 they delivered to them for observance the, decision, uh, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Paul, along with Timothy and Silas, were able to go and strengthen the churches. If Timothy was with them, that would have been more difficult. And so how does that apply to us today? How does that mission continue for us today? And I think the question for us is this. In what ways am I hindering others to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? In what ways am I hindering others to, to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Is it because you uh, may be focused on the wrong things? Are you focused on the things that are of God? Maybe, maybe, maybe you're a hindrance because you champion your cause of an open-handed issue as opposed to, to focusing on Christ and Him crucified. Maybe you're a hindrance because your political party affiliation has become more important during this season than your affiliation to Christ. That would be a stumbling block. Notice I said more important. You see, as Christians, we should be discussing certain things. We should be discussing racism and oppression and abortion. All these things we should be willing to discuss this time of the year. But we should talk about them in a way that puts God in a position of authority, not man. But by all means, we should speak the truth in love, and that is my concern. Is that we would not be loving to those who would think differently than us. And we see what happens when... Uh, and, and, and look at verse... Uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Do you speak the truth in love to those who think differently than you do? There's a quote by St. Augustine that was in reference to fasting. It says this, When in Rome, do as the Romans do. Anybody ever heard of that quote? So when in Rome, do as the Romans do. This is St. Augustine who quoted. And St. Augustine, when he lived in Milan... He did not fast on Saturdays because it wasn't something the church did. But he would go to Rome and serve there for months on end and guess what he would do on Saturdays? He would fast. Why? Because that's what the church in Rome did. So in order not to be a hindrance, he came up with the line, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And I think that's what Paul is saying here in his text for the Corinthian church is that I became all things to all people that by all means I may, that I may save some, may lead some to eternal salvation found in Jesus Christ. 
So we don't want to hinder the gospel. We don't want to hinder those that may hear. And you need to ask yourself, in what ways do I hinder those that would come to know a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is? I remember being in Indonesia, and I've been there several times, and every time I'm there, I get introduced to a new food. And so we, tra- we travel from village to village and people are just really happy that we're there and we're spreading the gospel and the good news. But man, they're just, Americans have come into these villages and they, many of them have never seen an American before. And so obviously you're walking into their village and they're just kind of overwhelmed. The first thing they want to do is fix food for you. Well, this is a, it's a very different food than, than, than what I'm used to. And so sometimes, remember one delicacy, they, they called a delicacy, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a rice that was green. And the reason that it was a green rice is because they fixed it ahead of time and it sat out for like 30 to 60 days and fermented. And it was, to them, a delicacy. And so when you came into their village, they would give it to you, right? And to eat. And, and this was a big deal because this was a delicacy to them. And so by them giving it to you was to show like, hey, hospitality and welcome and we're glad you're here. Now what would I have done if I took it and said, uh, no thanks? Right? I would have hindered the gospel. I would have hindered the work that we were actually there trying to do. And so what do we do? The guys that are with us, the ladies that are there, we suck it up and we eat it. Right? It was terrible. <laughs> it's as gross as it sounds, I want to tell you. And it was hard to throw down, but man, thank you know, thankfully we had bottles of water and take a bite and swig of water. You know, I think we went through probably three or four bottles of water during one session, but hey, it's great. But the thing is, is we're there to proclaim the good news of the gospel and we didn't want anything to hinder that. And so we need to think about our lives. We need to think about how do you act in your workplaces? What kind of neighbor are you actually to your neighbors? Like how do you come across to your family and friends? Like if, if you were to go and share the gospel with them, is there something they could say? Say, don't talk to me about that. Because the first thing they're going to do is call you a hypocrite, right? Which they can do that anyway. I know, we, I know we, we've messed up in some ways with our and done some things wrong. We ask for forgiveness. But they should know at least from us that we love them. That we're not just a clinging symbol. That we're not just a, a noisy gong. That we actually care about them. And I don't want anything to hinder them hearing the good news. And I want to I open that up. So that's, that's what Paul's thinking here. He's like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to circumcise Timothy so that he doesn't hinder the gospel. Third point is this. The mission continued by not opening closed doors. Not opening closed doors. Verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and to help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. Of course, right? I think we would too. If we've seen this vision, God has appeared to us and He sends us this vision that we would go and we would preach the gospel to them. 
And so we don't, even though we don't want to close, we don't want to close open doors, right? By by being a stumbling block, by being a hindrance, we don't want to close open doors. In the same way, we don't want to open closed doors. Like it's obvious, like the Holy Spirit's working here. Look, they went through the region and they were being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. The gospel was not meant to go to Asia yet. And so as he's going into Bithynia, right? As he's getting ready to go into Bithynia, the Spirit of Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit, again tells them, hey, do not go into Asia. It did not allow them. And so they, they pass by and they go into Mysia and they went down to Troas and Troas is right on the coast there as they, as they go and, and he gets this vision to go into Macedonia and so they cross over the sea and go into Macedonia and there they preach the good news and they begin the church in Philippi. We see in Paul's letter the church to the, to the Philippians there. So we don't want to open doors where God has close them, right? We don't want to force our way into something where God has not allowed us to go. Many, many of you here, I want you to understand that you're not here by accident. God has ordained you to be here this morning during for this time to, to, to gather together with this church. You are not apart from God's sovereign grace in that. So many doors have been opened and closed to you to be able to allow that to happen this morning. Do you realize that? Some doors have been evident that they've been closed. Some doors have been evident that they've been opened. You've, you've prayed for open doors into something and God has opened the doors wide. And you know exactly what you're supposed to do. And yet, sometimes you pray for something fervently that God would allow you to be able to go do something and, and the doors would close and you, 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 you couldn't force your way in if you wanted to or you could try and butt your head against it, but it wouldn't be good and valuable and right. I remember as I was first feeling this call to ministry, about it's probably about 15 years ago, 15, 16 years ago, so in this call to ministry, I, I called one of my buddies who, who works in the mountains of Appalachia. In, in Western North Carolina, and I mean, I tell you, I love the, I, I like the beach. The beach is good. I like it, but I love the mountains. Like, if we could, if we could put a base in the mountains of North Carolina, that would be excellent. I would be the first one to 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 go and to do that if the Lord called me to it. Obviously, Amen. but that would be, <laughs> but that that would be like. So anyway, I got this guy who he runs a teen camp there in. In, uh, in the mountains of North Carolina, I mean deep in the hearts of the mountains. Like you, you can't look around and there's not mountains on every side. It is in the middle and it's beautiful. <clears throat> so I was feeling this call to ministry and he was running this teen camp and he's a, he's a really good friend of mine. And I called him and I said, look man, I said, I'm feeling this call to ministry. Like I, I, I love that uh, where you're working and what you're doing to reach these teens that are coming to your camp to spend time here. Like, I love it. I, I, I said, man, I, I feel this call to ministry, and I know you need some help. I, I just want you to pray. I want us to pray about me coming, picking up my family from, uh, from where we're at and going uh, to, to there and to, and to work and be a part of that. He said, yeah, man. He said, that would be awesome. Like, I, I couldn't think of anything better I'd love to have than your family joining us and being a part of this thing. But we're going to pray about it. And so six months went by. Never heard from him. And he never heard from me. We just prayed for six months. 
And uh, and I just remember calling him and going, "Hey, man, like, I don't feel it. I don't think it's. I don't think it's there. I don't think it's happening." He's like, "Man, I have prayed for you to come. Like, I I want you to come, but the Lord is not opening that door here either." And uh, and so we just both said, "Man, I, we've prayed about it. The Spirit is not leading us in this direction." And uh, and just kind of and, and your life should be marked that way. That you should be trusting the Holy Spirit to, to lead and guide and direct you to do things in that way. That you wouldn't just make decisions in the moment unless it's, it's just really clear what God's doing. That you would, you would take time to pray that God would open that door. That it would just be really clear that He would send you in that direction. And not trust in yourself because it's easy to do that. But that you would listen to the Spirit as, even though He would close the door that you want to walk through, right? I mean, there's been many doors I would love to be living. i got to tell you, I, I, I love it here. I love Pillar Jacks. I love this church. I love what, what I'm doing here. But to live in the Appalachian Mountains and be provided a house, salary didn't matter. This is a beautiful place, beautiful scenery, like, but it wasn't to be. And here's what happened after that. It wasn't long after that moment that I had that phone call that God made it really clear of where I was to go and where I was to be. And I was to be a church planter. And I was going to plant a church and go and, and do that work. And just God made it really clear in that time. And it was just a, it was a, beautiful, it was a beautiful time and a beautiful way to see the Lord work. And the last one that we have is the mission continued through gospel proclamation. The mission continued through gospel proclamation. So they set sail going into Macedonia from Troas, verse 11. We made a direct voyage to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Remained in the city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside in the gate on the two riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. So there was no synagogue available here in this Roman colony. So they would create places that would be a, that would be a place of prayer. They were usually down by a water. They would, they would usually be somewhere down water because they would oftentimes do ritual hand washing. They would do ritual body washing. They would even do some sort of uh, uh, baptisms uh, at that time. And so they would be at a place near the water, and we, there was a place of prayer. We sat down, and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Who opened her heart? It was Paul. No, it was the Lord that opened her heart. It was through the preaching of the Word, God intervening and opening her heart to see the good news of Him. Notice what Paul does. He goes to a place. Every time he enters a city, he goes to a place where people naturally gather to worship or to, 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 to hang out. And he would use this time to proclaim the way and the truth and the life that is found in Jesus Christ. These were people who were at this place of prayer who were, they were God-fearing people. They thought they knew the way of salvation. They thought they knew what, what religion was, that I must do this thing under the law. 
But it wasn't until Paul proclaimed the good news of Jesus that they fully understand what truth was. There are people all around us today that have this mindset that I believe I'm saved, I believe I'm good. And it's not until they're met with Jesus and who He is and truth that is found in Him that they understand who they are in sin. And so Lydia here was a person of notoriety. She was a seller of purple cloth. She would have been very wealthy and she would have had all earthly good there was to have. But Jesus became greater. Jesus became greater. And then we see this beautiful picture of after her conversion, she immediately displayed a, a nature of hospitality. She invites these men to come and stay in her home. Look at their end of verse 16 and verse 15. It says, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon them. Did you catch that? She prevailed upon them. That means that they were probably like, yeah, I'm not sure if I want to go to your house. We just met. Like, you just became a Christian. Like, I'm not sure if we should go to your house. But she convinces them, like, hey, come to my house. Let me, let me be, show hospitality to you in, in exchange for what you have done to me. Let me show my faithfulness by opening my doors to my home and you come and you stay with me. And so the way that the mission continues for us is we must look for opportunities to share the gospel. You have to be a people who proclaims the gospel. You have to. We, pray, we must pray that God would give us the courage and the eyes to see that there are people who need to hear. And we must be faithful in this. We must be faithful in this. We have, we have an awesome opportunity coming up here in Easter. It's a time where even people who are not of the faith, they actually are willing to come and hear what it is that we have to say. And so you've got to think about who's that one person that I can invite to hear or who's the one person that I could tell the good news of the gospel and encourage them to come along with me that they can hear it preached from the Scriptures. Guys, I can't tell you enough that we have to be faithful. People don't come to Christ without you telling them. Without us being faithful, without the Christians, those who have been saved by grace through faith, going out and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Him. That we live in a, in a broken world because of sin. God made it perfect, but then sin entered the world. Now we live in a broken world. Like That's clear to everybody. Everybody would agree that we live in a broken world. Yeah, we live in a pretty good society. We all got it pretty good, but we live in a pretty broken world. The only resolution for that brokenness is Jesus Himself. It is Jesus who rescues us from our sin. It is His death, burial, and resurrection that gives us the only life that we should care to have, and that is eternal life. And so just thinking about that here, as Paul builds his ministry, and he builds his, the foundation of the church, 
of Christ. We must be about that business as well. We must build the foundation of our church on Christ and who He is, our lives on who Christ and who He is. You see, Jesus Christ is worthy, worthy of our efforts in everything that we do. He is worthy. We sang it in the song this morning. He is. We repeated it. He is. He is. He is. It is. It is. It is. Over and over. He is worthy. We must be about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must, must be willing to proclaim that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven which man, which given among men by which we must be saved. The question is, will you trust Him today? Will you put your faith and trust in Him today? As Lydia did, as, as, as Lydia saw, heard the good news of the gospel, that the Lord would open her eyes to see it, her heart to believe it. Are you praying that way, that God, would you open my heart to believe this? Maybe even today you're praying that prayer. Today is the day of salvation. You trust Him. Will you put your faith and trust in Him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. Thank You for this time that we've had together, for Your Word that is given to us. Lord, for the, the foundation of our church, the foundation of any church should be that of Christ Jesus. But we know that, that many are wayward, Lord. But Lord, I pray that this church, for us here today, our foundation would be in Jesus Christ and Him alone. So Lord, help us. Help us to see Your glory, Your good, Your faithfulness. Help us to see our own sin for what it is, an abomination to You. That, Lord, there is this chasm that we cannot overcome in and of ourselves. But the only way that we can overcome it is by Jesus Christ. The only way that we can get to you is through Jesus Christ. Help us to see it today that our sin is keeping us from a holy and good and righteous God. But also give us eyes to see that there are others around us who are, who are living in this sin, that are dying and going to hell. If we, don't, if we don't show them what it means to be rescued, if we don't tell them what the truth of, 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 of who Christ is and that they can overcome their sin through Him and Him alone. So help us, Lord. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the musicians come, I just want to reiterate that, that this is the time in our service where, where we can come to Him, where we can believe in Him by faith that He is the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through Him. And so today I pray that you would believe that that you would trust in that. If you're far from Him this morning, that you would trust in that as we get ready to worship in song. Church, please stand with us again as we sing uh, Come Thou Found.
Please be seated. 